Hey guys, my name is Cody. I get to be the pastor here at the table. And today we're going to be in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. So I'll read that for us. Um, If you have a Bible, great. Um, That's the address. If you don't, um, no worries. They'll be on the screens for you. And also, if you don't own a Bible, um, there are some on the tables um, on your way out. Um, And feel free to get up and grab one of those um, during the service or get one on the way out. We want you to have a copy of the Word of God um, in your home. Or um, just go ahead and download it um, on your phone. Even better, right? So uh, let's go ahead and um, I'll read this for us, then I'll pray for us, and then we'll dive in to this text. Paul the Apostle writes to the church there at Colossae. He says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us to understand um, that th- this great truth of the change that happens um, that, that Jesus uh, brings in our life, that Jesus comes to us, Um, He loves us where we're at, but he doesn't leave us there, that he changes us. He changes our our affections and our attitudes and our desires and and our behaviors. Um, And God, I pray that we we would see how that practically works itself out today as we work through this text. And we ask this in Jesus' good, good name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Um, Again, um, if you're just now coming in, welcome to the table. My name is Cody. Um, Some of you, I I got to meet you in the lobby and and you're brand new here. And so I'll go ahead and and take a little bit just uh, explaining um, kind of the name behind the table um, and everything. We we think that God uh, ultimately, fundamentally, is a host that he um, wants people brought into his family. Um, yes, it is true that God is a healer, and there are some churches, denominations, movements that kind of go um, all in on that um, and, and look at him primarily as a healer. And, and it is true God does um, heal. Uh, personally, God healed me of asthma the first year I got married because uh, pre-existing condition, didn't, couldn't afford the money anymore. First time I ever thought about asking God to heal me of it. So God does heal. Um, and then other people um, think of God primarily as a judge, that it's like his, um, he's juridic in his nature, that he's just a cosmic killjoy waiting to smash us, you know, just waiting to see what we do wrong so he can just hammer us, right? And, um, and it is true that God is a judge, and he is a God of wrath, and he is holy, and, um, but that's not primarily how he relates to us. In fact, he is a host, that he uh, offers hospitality, that he, um, and we see this in a parable in Luke chapter 14, where Jesus is at a party and he tells a story about God throwing a party. And he says, you know, there was this guy, this, this master of the banquet, this host, this, this owner that said, go out and, 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 and bring people to this great banquet that he has provided for lavishly. And one by one, he went to the guest and the guest rejected him. 
and they said, I've got this business, I've got this going on. They just all began making the excuses. They didn't adjust their calendar when they got the invite. And so that at the time of the invite and the time that the party was happening, they had just filled it up with other things. And they went back, the servants tell the owner, and it's like, hey, what? they're not coming. And the owner's, you know, the, he's mad. He's like, I've done all this stuff. He goes, well, go out. Go out and get the lame, the poor, the blind, the crippled. Go in that my house may be filled. So they go out, they get all these people that come in and the servants say, hey, there's still room. He goes, go out to the highways, the hedges, the byways. Go in, go out, get them so that my house may be filled. And so we we see from that that God is primarily a host. He desires for his house to be filled. He desires to give. And we see that the world are primarily then seen as guests, not people to be shunned or kept out, but people to be brought in. And then we see that the church, this church and other churches, but this church specifically, we are the gathering servants in that parable because we have a master who wanted us and he wants our friends. He wants our family. He wants our coworkers. He wants to show them in this love, this incredible reconciliation that Paul talks about in our text. That's who God is. That's who the world is. And that's who we are. So welcome to the table. We're glad that you are here today. Now, how does all of that um, fit in? I don't know. I just made it all up. So no, um, uh, but I, no, let's go ahead and um, put this in here. I'm going to say something that is bad grammar, but good theology. Okay. Are you ready? If you are what you were, then you ain't. <laughs> now, what I mean by that is for, is, is for he, he's talking primarily, Paul is talking to Christians and he's reminding them what they were. And he's also reminding them of what they are. And then he's, also got a kind of a gentle warning in there, if they ain't. If you are what you were, then you ain't. This whole thing is about the idea of conversion. Paul is laying out for this church that was a young church. Paul had not been to this church. A, a, a disciple that Paul had, um, that Paul knew that he had discipled, a guy named Epaphras, like nobody's naming their kids Epaphras. Like people name their kids Paul now, but then nobody names their kids Epaphras anymore. I don't know why. It's kind of a cool name. But uh, some things just have a ring to it, I guess. But uh, Epaphras had started this church. He goes back. He tells Paul what had happened. He went and preached the gospel. A bunch of people became, became Christians. They got saved, and they started gathering up. And this church was, was born here in this town called Colossae. So Epaphras goes back, tells Paul about what's going on. Paul, who's an apostle, he kind of like has you know, overarching authority over all these churches. He just writes a letter to them and he's encouraging them because the situation there at Colossae was some of the, some people in the town of Colossae um, and that the the church had been infiltrated by like some false teachers, some people that were coming into the church and trying to tell the church at Colossae. And this happened at a lot of the churches that Paul had started or that his disciples had started, that they would come in and they'd start trying to add to the things that the people had to do. Like they, these people had believed in Jesus. Jesus had saved them. But then another group of people called the Judaizers would come in and say, yeah, that's good. But also you need to be circumcised. You got to undergo this small minor operation 
you know, and like adult males are like, what? what? I ain't doing that. Rain on that. That's crazy. He said, believe in Jesus. That's what Paul said. That's what I want to do. But there was all this pressure put on them to start observing new moons and Sabbaths and festivals and, and observing the law. And Paul is writing saying, no, 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 don't step away from that. Continue in what you have heard. Be steadfast, be stable. Remember what you were and remember that this is what Jesus has done for you now. You can't add to the gospel. Your good works, they're good, but they don't add to your credit. They're not going to help you get any closer to Jesus. The problem for us, though, is that we will take, and the problem with Colossians 2, it's for us as well, if we, if we get that twisted and we start thinking through that like our relationship with God depends upon how good we do, then we'll become legalists. And then we'll start judging other people, right? Or, or we will say, no, God's good with me and I don't have to change at all. He understands me. I remember one time I was working back in Oklahoma at a gas station was asked, was, was sharing the gospel with this guy. And this guy said, yeah, me and God have this understanding. And I'm like, what, what do you think that understanding is? He's like, God knows my problems and he's all right with it. And I'm like, and now I've read the Bible and I'm like, wait a minute. I don't think God's ever okay with sin. Like ever. Now I'm not saying you got to go around just hammering people because of their sins, but that's wrong too. We typically you know, like to hammer the sins of other people while not, not paying attention to our own. That, we shouldn't do that. But we can't just go the other route and say, God's okay with sin. No, he's holy, which is what our text said. He's holy. And so Paul's writing to this, this group of people and says, listen, you were not holy. You were alienated from God. You were hostile in mind toward God. You were doing evil deeds. Now, that doesn't mean that every one of them are like Adolf Hitler or anything like that. You know, don't, don't, don't categorize evil deeds just like that. Evil deeds could just mean like harboring animosity in your heart towards somebody, right? So he says, you have been changed. Now, here's the thing. Only a supreme savior can save supreme sinners. Only a supreme savior can and save supreme sinners. And here's the thing. All of us in this room, me included, we are supreme sinners. Paul, the guy who's writing this letter, like an author of the New Testament, he writes in another letter to, to Timothy, who was a young pastor. He said, here's a good and trustworthy save, saying, Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Now, the reason we want to talk about conversion here is because Paul, who's writing this letter, who's planting these churches, this was a guy who was alienated from God, hostile in mind toward God, and definitely doing evil deeds. Before Jesus saved him, his life's purpose and mission was to stamp out the church. Now, I doubt that any of you are quite that way. If you are, please go see our security team. Right? But none of you are in that condition. Like you're here, you're sitting down here listening to me. If you were like in Paul's previous, like pre-conversion stage, you'd be simply like tearing down the pipe and drape, wrecking the cars, spilling the coffee. You'd just be doing everything you could to just dismantle this whole thing. Right? To which we would say, 
come and be part of our teardown team. We, we don't mind you tearing things down. Do it in an orderly manner. And Jesus saved him. He saved him. He changed it. It's a conversion. He was, he was against God, and now he is for God. Which is what we do. It's why every, this is why we do everything we do here at the table. Everything that we do here is designed so that you can know the supremacy of Christ over all things in your life and outside of your life. The sermons we preach, the kids curriculum that we design, the songs that we sing, the groups that we attend and plug into on a weekly basis, the service projects that we do, all of it designed to let Jesus reign supreme over our lives and change us. So, Let's go ahead and dive into this. You who once were, you who were once were alienated, hostile in mind and doing evil deeds. It's what we were, not just what we did. Okay. And, and I, I want to unpack that because I know that there's some of you who are new here this morning. I've never met you. And, and, and some of you I have met, but we haven't had like deep theological um, conversations. So I just want to, you know, get it all out there on the, on the table. And so that you know where, where we're coming from. Um, I want to front load the, the relationship. Like we don't believe that we're just sinners because of what we did, but we're sinners and we sin because of what we are. Now I realize that for some of us, that's a, that's a hard thing. That's a hard concept to come because there's a lot of baggage attached to sinner. We don't want to think of ourselves as really all that bad, right? But let me just see if I can illustrate it for you for a second. Like um, many of you in here um, have kids or have had kids. And if, if you haven't had kids, you at least were a kid at some time. And I think you'll be able to appreciate this and understand this. You take a little bitty kid What's one of the first words that that kid learns? No. You want to know, you want to know what another one is? Mine. Right? You don't have to tease that little that little baby how to be rebellious or selfish. And if you're if you're sitting there thinking, "Well, like, yeah, go ahead. Wait till they wake you up in the middle of the night and they don't even ask. They don't even they don't even care." Right? Like, come feed me. Come change my diaper. I made this mess. You clean it up. Like, what adult does that? Like, I mean, it's, this is kind of funny. It's not, but it kind of is. Like, you understand that, like, when you have that baby, like, and you bring it into your house, like, you're raising a little narcissist. It is completely self-centered, and it is your job to train them not to be. Here's the thing about narcissists. They don't even know they're narcissists. Right? But they're so cute. I know. That's what makes it so hard. Here's the thing. Like, we, now, we, we, we talk about that. And we point that to the little kids and stuff. But the reality is, like, no, I, I'm a, I'm, I sin because I'm a sinner. It's not that I sinned. I made one bad decision and that made me a sinner. That's true, but why did I sin in the first place? Oh, I'm a sinner. I have a fallen nature. I have, I have a default 
And my default is not good. Listen, a lot of people have this worldview of like, okay, there are good hats. There's white hats and black hats in, in, in the world. And, you know, there's good guys and there's bad guys. Listen, from a biblical worldview, we're all wearing black hats. We're all bad guys. There's one good guy, and his name is Jesus. And this is what Paul is talking to these Colossians about and what I'm proclaiming to you. It's like, oh, Jesus is the good guy. It's through a relationship with him that we are reconciled with God who is holy, blameless, all of that, completely righteous, perfect. That's how we get back this relationship with God restored, how we can move from alienation to family, how we can move from hostile to submissive, how we can move from doing evil deeds to lovingly serving other people. It's through the person, the life, the person, the work, the death, the resurrection of Christ, the God-man who came and died on the cross in our place, that body of flesh in death, that he took the penalty for us. That's where the reconciliation happens. That's what makes it possible for a guy like Paul, who used to be named Saul, who was trying to kill the church. Now he's trying to start more of them through the person and work of Christ. So before I move on from what you once were, we sin because we're sinners We aren't deep down good people who make bad mistakes or bad choices. We aren't naturally good with God. We're alienated from God. And here's the the thing I want you to really, um, this is going to be hard. When you minimize your sin, you minimize your need for a savior. So I'm going to ask you just to be honest. Just, Just look at it. Just say, yeah, I'm prideful. Yeah, I have an anger problem. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I lust. Yeah, just, just look at it for what it is. Don't minimize it. Because if you minimize it, you'll, you'll do yourself a disservice. You won't need Christ as much. All right? So let's move on to the next. So that's what you were. If you are what you were. Okay, that's what you were. Now let's talk about what we become. Look at what he says. He has now reconciled. And I love this. This is present tense. This says that he has reconciled you even despite your sin. He knows you're not perfect yet. He knows you're not going to be perfect. He knows you're going to continue to mess up. He, I mean, let's just think about this for just a second. Like, we'll just take the Ten Commandments. Only ten of the, of the commandments, right? Don't lie. He knows you're going to tell another lie. He knows some of you are telling yourself one right now. Because some of you are saying, oh, no, I'm never going to tell another lie. You just did. You're going to do, you're going to lie. You're coveting. Listen, if, if, if somehow you could find yourself escaping from the lie, listen, you live in America. Coveting? Oh, I got you all. Just like scattergun. Right there. Like, Coveting. We covet. We want other people's stuff. It's what the entire advertisement industry is built upon. Right? Don't covet anybody's ox or his mule. That was fine until Kawasaki came out with a UTV called the mule. 
Now I want one. (laughs) Reconciled now, even despite our sin, because of what Christ has done, that he takes all of our sin, past, present, and future, nails it to the cross, says, I paid for that. That we can be reconciled now. Not later, but now. In his body of flesh, by his death, in order so that future, he's going to present us holy, blameless, and above reproach. Man, that sounds like perfect relationship. Perfect relationship. Holy, like God. Perfect, like God is perfect. Blameless, like like God is blameless, like God, like Jesus is blameless, above reproach. Like here's the thing, like I, I, in in our process of like making disciples here at the table, one of the things that we want to do for people who are not Christians or people who are not sure if they're Christians, like we just want to introduce them to the person and work of Jesus. So we just say, hey, go through the Gospel of Mark. And if that's you today, and you're like, I've never read the Bible, I've never read anything in the Bible, I don't even know where to start. You know, like I heard about this book called Leviticus. What is that? Like, yeah, like, no, don't start there. Don't. You know, what about numbers? I understand numbers. I can pronounce that. Don't start numbers. No, don't. Start with this guy named Mark. Well, who's Mark? He's the guy who wrote a story about Jesus. It's the, it's, it's the third book in the New Testament. It's the shortest gospel that there is. Like, start with the gospel of Mark. It's all about who Jesus was and is like if we if if you're interested in, in like discovering what it means to be a Christian, discovering becoming a Christian, you need to know who Jesus is. And there's four gospels in the New Testament that start with that. And we and we just we picked one, Mark, because it's short. It gives you like a two week off ramp. Like if you read about the gospel, if you read through the gospel, Mark, one chapter a day, and meet a couple of times with one of us, and then at the end of it, you're like. Yeah, I I don't really get it. I don't really like Jesus. Okay. But I doubt you will. As I'm telling you, he's a fascinating guy. He really is. He he's he's incredible. So, start there. And this is what happens. You start with Jesus and you become a Christian and once you become a Christian because of what you believe and what Jesus has done, now you're reconciled to God. And God sees you as holy, blameless, above reproach. He's working to get you there, but that's how he sees you. Now that you can be reconciled, not alienated from God anymore, but reconciled, brought into his family, a seat at the table, justified, just as if I had never sinned. Justified. So, Then he gives this warning. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you had heard. This was what the false teachers that were coming into the church, trying to teach them, they were trying to get them to shift from the hope of the gospel. You say, well, what is the hope of the gospel? The hope of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ was perfect when we weren't, and Jesus Christ died on the cross took the sack, took our penalty for us so that we could be made right with God. I'm going to share this story. It's not my notes. So I'll just give you an example of, of how this is. And this isn't put me on a, 
on a on a pedestal or anything at all. But when when my boy Silas was um, a, a little guy, you know, I don't know, nine, ten years old, something like that, he had gotten in trouble um, for something and um, got in trouble at school. And uh, in in our house, you know, we we believed in like corporal punishment and stuff. And you may not, but we did, and um and it it worked out fine. Our, our kids aren't you know they're not too bad. So. Uh, they ain't perfect, but they ain't too bad. And um, he got in trouble for lying. And at our in our house, like we have like three liquors. Like if you steal, cheat, lie, or you try to drive a wedge between mom and dad, those you three swats, you get those. That's a those are like capital offenses. And um, and he had lied, and and I said, okay, we'll deal with this when you get home from school. Lied at school. Principal called me about it. Came came home, set him down, and I knew it. I knew it that afternoon what I was going to do, and I'll just be honest with you. I didn't want to do it. Went into his room. I said, Silas, you lied. Yeah. I said, you know what that means, right? He says, yeah, I get three licks. I said, I'm going to give you a choice. Do you want want me to give you the licks, or do you want me to take the licks for you? And he looks at me like, and I could, you could just tell the little, you know, wheels in his mind was turning. Because he's, he's thinking like, how are you going to bust your tail as hard as you would bust my tail? Like, you, how are you going to, like, that ain't, just the physics of it don't work. And he's like, are you going to let me give you the licks? Because I can't hit as hard as you can, Dad. That ain't gonna, that's not apples and apples. And I said, don't worry about it. It will be the full punishment. I will take it on your behalf if you want me to. And he said, it took him a long time to answer. A long time. Like he was just like, he was like, ah, he didn't want me to do it. He knew, I, he knew that I, I didn't do anything wrong, but yet he didn't want to take that punishment either. But finally, after it, it must've seemed like an eternity for him. It's probably about 30 seconds, a minute, you know, for him. He finally said, number two. I said, you want me to take it for you? He said, yes. I said, okay. I said, but you got to watch. He said, okay. So I took that little paddle. I sat there on the edge of his bed. He sat over there, and I brought it down, full swat. Bam, right there on my thigh. Did it hurt? Yes, it did. And that's why I was having second thoughts about it before I ever even talked to him. It was like my Garden of Gethsemane moment. Like, if there be any other way, Lord, let this cup pass for me. Not, nevertheless, let your will be done, not mine. First lick. Oh, it hurt. And it whelped up immediately. Because there wasn't like no, it was, it was summertime. Like I had shorts on. Oh, man, it stung. And he winced. And I brought down the second one. And he started crying. I brought down the third one. Man, it was hurt. God, oh, it hurt so bad. But he ran to me, embraced me. I got, I was able to to get through to him and, and show him like this is, and that's what I told him. I said, Christ has done so much more for you than what I have done for you right now. 
He has taken your sin. He has taken the punishment for your sin all on himself. And two weeks later, he became a Christian. Now, I don't know that what I did, I think that was going to happen probably regardless anyway, because and then a, and then a week after that, he, he he got in trouble for like another three liquor. And they're like, Cody, did you do it again? No, my leg had healed up. I swatted his tail. So, I, you know, <laughs> God's grace may not have limits, but mine does. <laughs> you know, like that's the gospel that Jesus in our place, suffering on our behalf, taking our sin for us so that we could be made right with God. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And if you minimize your sin and you start comparing yourself to other people and say, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as that girl. I'm not as bad as my dad or I'm not as bad as my my brother. You start minimizing that in comparison. You'll minimize your need for a savior. You won't want and you won't run to him. You'll just you'll say, ah, that's for that's for really bad people. But no, it's for all it's for any sinners. And that's all of us. We're all wearing the black hats. So. He has now reconciled. That's what we are now. But he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you had heard. So what does it look like not to shift from the hope of the gospel? What does that look like? Anytime that we start fearing man, that, that, that causes us to shift from the gospel. Anytime we start like being more afraid of what man says than what God says. That's a shift from the hope of the gospel. Um, anytime that we put our identity in something other than what God has said about us and what Jesus has done for us, that's a shift from the hope of the gospel. Okay? So if you start, um, I, I say this to people um, oftentimes, you are a human being, not a human doing. But we have a tendency to get our identity from what we accomplish, what we do, our our work, or or, or our kids. Here's one: we we get our identity on based on what our kids are doing. That's even more twisted because that ain't even based on what you do. Like, but we do that. We get our identity shifts: being versus doing, relationships, work, success. Um, yeah, especially like relationships. Like, my, if your identity is tied up in that relationship with that person. And I'm not even saying if it's like a boyfriend, girlfriend type thing. I'm saying like, it could be a husband and wife. And I'll tell you this, if you're, if your whole being, your whole identity is tied up with that boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, kid, you will crush them with your expectations. They are not made to be God and they are not meant to be worshiped and they will disappoint you. They will. You just, you, you can't get your identity from that or you, and you can't get your identity from what they say about you. Now that's a harder one, but especially for some of us, you know, we're raised and our parents may have said bad things or our parents may have done bad things to us and we can't, we can't get those things out of our head, but I'm telling you, there is liberation in Christ and what Christ has said about you and what Christ has said about those who receive him by grace through faith and take and trust in what he has done, not in their own good ability, what he says about them, loved, never changing, accepted, reconciled, mine. 
I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I will always be with you, even unto the ends of the age. That's what Christ says about those who receive him by faith. So, here's a, here's a, um, a litmus test. You say, well, man, I don't know if I have, what kind of a relationship do I have with God? Let me ask you this. When you, when you read something in the Bible or when you hear something from the Bible that you don't agree with, what do you do with it? Do you, do you justify your behavior or do you adjust your behavior to the Bible? That, what do you do with it? And I'm, I'm not going to expand that any further. That, that's going to, there's your take home assignment. There you go. Homework. All right. So here's what we want to do here at the church. This is going to get a little bit pragmatic for, for us now, because what we want as people come to the table and as you bring your friends and, and they become Christians, we don't want them to just be kind of like haphazard, like what's going to happen. Like, well, what's the process? We want to have a process for that so that you can remain steadfast and stable, not shifting your hope from the gospel. So it's our desire that no matter if this is your first time here, whether you're not a Christian, whether you just moved to the area, you are a Christian, or whether you've been a Christian for a long time and you want to plug in and be a part of a church where you can grow and develop in your faith, we want you to have a next step to take. So here's what our disciple-making process is, okay? Um, number one, we want you to be a Christian. And the way that we want to introduce you to being a Christian is read through the Gospel of Mark. I mentioned it a little bit earlier. If you want to read through the Gospel of Mark with someone, I'm going to invite you to take a step today at the info table or fill it out on the Connect card, or whether it's online or you fill one out physically, and say, I, that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to know what it, what it means to become a Christian and just go, somebody will just read through the gospel of Mark with you. Okay. That, and, and that's the, be a Christian. The next one is be baptized. You say, well, I am a Christian, but I've never been baptized. I was baptized as a baby. I didn't know what I was doing, you know, I, you know, and, and I really wasn't a Christian then, but, but I have become a Christian now. And you know what, what I wanted, what, the next step is be baptized. Jesus was baptized when he was 30 years old and he set the example for us. We ought to we ought to be baptized. That's, that is our public profession of faith. You say, well, I, okay, that's me. I, I need, again, info table. Sign up for the next baptism class. We'll explain all that and we'll get you information. Someone will help you write your story because the way we do baptisms here, first of all, it's a party. I mean, literally, like there's a big wet tank up here on the deal. Everybody's clapping, hooping and hollering because they know what it's going to be. You know, like, and it's, when I say tank, it's a, it's a horse trough. You know, we're a church plant. Get over it. I don't, you know. So that's what we do. Um, and, and then there's cookies and stuff at the back. People like clap and, and you get to share your story. You, we, we have you like share your story about how you were once alienated, hostile in mind, you know, doing evil deeds. And then God reconciled you and just hear that story because people want to hear that story. It's beautiful. So be baptized. So be a Christian, be baptized. Next one is be a disciple. We want to have like Christian, like formation for you. We've got a book that we were really excited about. We think it works really, really well. I'm taking two guys through it right now. We met in the library this morning from like nine to 10. Um, and if you want to, if you say like, yeah, I'm a new Christian, but I need to be, I, I need to know my next steps. The walk. It, that's, that's the book. The next one is be a member. You say, well, what do you mean be a member of the church? Listen, I'm, I realize I'm going to say some things right now 
that may make some of you not want to come back. And I hope that's not the case. But the New Testament, the New Testament knows nothing of rogue Christianity. Every person that you encounter in the New Testament was plugged in to a local church. They were, you could say they were a member. You say, well, Cody, remember, that's, a, that's kind of a crazy word. That's, you know, what do you mean member of the church? We know in, in, in Timothy that they had lists of people. Paul talks about it. He says, you know, if a person's not meeting these requirements, don't let them be on the list. So they had lists. They knew who was in, who was out. In the book of 1 Corinthians, there was a believer in the church that was, that was fooling around with his stepmom. And Paul says, you, you got you to gotta discipline that guy. You can't let that stuff be going on. You got to kick him out of the church if he's not going to repent. He writes this, the, the next letter to the Corinthians, and he says, hey, that guy that you kicked out of the church because he was fooling around with his, with his stepmom, he's repented, he wants to come back in, and y'all won't let him in. Let him back in. Like, there, there was this in and out. They knew who was in and who was out. Like, the apostle Paul knew who was in and out, and he wasn't even there. Like, there, so they knew who belonged and who didn't. But this, we have this kind of weird, hyper-individualistic idea in American Christianity where we just say, yeah, just kind of float around, go wherever. Listen, that's foreign to the New Testament. It's foreign. So be a member. That is being a member of a local church where you are in relationship with people, where you are known and being known and knowing others and serving and using your gifts and your abilities and helping to further the mission of Christ in that local context. That is normative, standard Christianity. So we would say all Christians should be a member of a local church. Why not this one? Okay. All right. Um. As we go on, we'll wrap this thing up because my my timer is in red now. So he goes on, he says, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think that of which I, and then just draw a blank and put your name in there. Because if you are a Christian, you may not be called to go plant churches everywhere like the apostle Paul did, but you are called to be a minister in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in the, in the cultural context that you are in. You, God has sovereignly placed you there. You are to be a light in that community. You, do, you are to be a city on that hill. That's, you, you're a minister. That's who you're supposed to be. Paul remembers as he writes these words that he too once was alienated from God, that he was hostile toward God, that he was doing evil deeds, but God reconciled him, saved him, changed him. He went from persecutor of Jesus to disciple follower of Jesus to proclaimer and church planter for Jesus. Paul has been a Christian at this time when he writes this letter for almost 30 years. I know that we we think that like Paul went from like, like he became a Christian and then it was like the next day he started planting churches. No, it wasn't like that. He had been a Christian at this time for almost 30 years and it was 13 years between Paul's conversion to Christ and his first missionary journey. 13 years. It took time. 
it took it took him some time. He had, he went back to his hometown of Tarsus where he spent about seven or eight years, and nobody, the only person discipling him that we knew of was Jesus. He was just spending time reading all the Old Testament back through the lens of what Christ has done and who he was. I posted this earlier this week on Facebook. African elephants, I know you're like, wait a minute, this seems like a turn. Bear with me. African elephants stay in the womb, just in the womb, 645 days. That's nearly two years. Some of y'all are pregnant, and you're just thanking God right now that you are a human and not an African elephant. Can you imagine enduring two summers of pregnancy in Phoenix? Wouldn't that be terrible? African elephants stay in the womb for 645 days. The common house fly, common house fly, it's complete life cycle. From egg to death is only about two weeks. Here's my point. When God wants to build something magnificent, he takes his time. When God wants to build something magnificent, he takes his time. Oaks grow strong, but oaks grow slow. Their deeps, their roots go deep. They aren't easily blown over by the haboob that comes through. It may wreck that Palo Verde, but you ain't wrecking an oak. That's why the psalmist said the man of God will be like an oak planted by the river. Not a Palo Verde, not a palm, an oak. Their roots go deep and they're not easily uprooted or quenched. So this is our, this is what we want for, for you. We want you to be a disciple and align and on mission to make disciples. You say, well, Cody, I'm a member of the church. What, what is my next step? I don't know that I'm called to be a leader. I don't know that I'm called to be an elder. I don't know that I'm called to be a church planter. I don't know that I'm called to do all those things, but, but I, but is, is that it? I'm a member of the church and that's just the end of my discipleship. I don't grow any for any more from there. No, no, you're, you're called to be a blessing in that neighborhood where you are. And here's what I mean by this. I got this from Dave Ferguson. Wrote a book called Bless. Got, and I got that from, from Linda Raps, who's in our community group, that it said, here's a strategy for reaching our friends and neighbors. Begin with prayer. Who is it that you're praying for? Who is it that you want to come to know Christ? That you want their life to be changed? Begin with prayer. The second one is listen to them. Listen to their story. Listen to their experiences of where they've been. The, the third one is just eat a meal with them. There's some really cool things that happen when you gather people around a table. You start sharing your stories. The, the fourth one is serve them. Serve them. Be a blessing to them. And then the last one is share your story with them. Just share your story about how, you know, because once you start sitting around a meal and you, you're building a relationship and, and eating meals with people, you know, inevitably I get asked, How'd you become a pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. How'd that happen? Because people want to know how you got to where you are. So, here's how we do things here at the table. We're going to have communion. Four invitations. Um, For those of you who are believers, you're baptized, you're a follower of Jesus, um, we invite you to come and take communion. That communion is... Um, it's a little wafer, which represents the body of Christ, that he died for us, his perfect life. It's, 
then we take that juice, which represents his blood, the death that he died on the cross for us. So if you're a baptized believer, we invite you to come and take communion and to remember what Jesus has done um, for you. You say, well, I'm not a believer yet. Listen, you don't have to come and do that. It, it's, it's cool. Um, you, can, you can set this one out, all right? That's not going to make you a Christian if you come and take communion. So what you, but, but you can just kind of set that out. People get up and go there. It won't be like, it ain't going to be awkward if you ain't moving. People are going to be moving at different points anyway. And then after we get done with that, though, we're all going to stand and sing. And we invite you to sing. We're going to sing about the Savior who has changed us, who's converted us. This supreme Savior who has saved us supremely, us as supreme sinners. He has changed us. You say, well, Cody, that sounds good and all, but you, you told about having a relationship with Jesus. I don't have one. I want, I want to know more about that. I'm going to ask you to do a really bold thing. And I'm going to give you three different options, okay? You can either fill out that card and say, I want to talk to the pastor about what it means to follow Jesus, okay? And I'll have cop, well, I'll, just give me your phone number. Give me your name. I'll, I'll text you this afternoon. We'll, I'll contact you and we, we can talk about it, okay? We'll set up a time. And you say, okay, that, that's kind of non-invasive. We could, we could do that. Or maybe you want to go and you want to just fill it in at the info table. You're like, that's, that's a little bit more risky. Like you're going to talk to somebody. You can turn it in there. Or if you're just a bold, bold person, you're saying, I, I don't want to take, I just want to get this thing nailed down today. I'm going to be back there in the lobby. I'll, I'll be at the door. You're not going to be able to miss me unless you skate out some other door. And you can, you can talk to me then and say, I want to talk more about that. Okay? So I'm going to pray for you. Our folks are going to take communion, and then we're going to sing together. All right? Jesus, we want to thank you for what you've done. We thank you that you are a supreme God that saves us supremely. Us as sinners who sin supremely. God, you, you have not given up on us, that you come to us. You offer us grace and forgiveness and mercy and reconciliation. God, I pray that you would save some of our friends today. God, I pray that if you don't save them today, you'd at least get them willing to have a conversation or go through the gospel of Mark with, with me or someone else. And God, I pray that as we sing, as Angie and Zach and Kyle lead us to sing to you, God, that we would sing supremely to you, our supreme God. We love you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. It's in your good, good name that we pray. Amen.